0: You are listening to Pod Save the Rest of Us. Thank you for tuning in. All right. Hey, before we get started, let's hear from one of our sponsors. Parents and guardians, is your child finding it difficult to meet today's seemingly infinite academic demands? We have a solution for you. Our sponsor, the JEI Learning Center, believes that all children have unlimited learning potential. JEI's worldwide scientific educational system provides a learning program based on each child's individual needs and ability. The JI Learning Center effectively meets your child's academic needs with well-qualified instructors combined with a proven method and low student-to-instructor ratio, thus making JEI the best option for your child's educational needs. Given that JEI is aligned with state and common core curriculum, The JEI system is your solution to end your child's struggles or to advance your child in math, reading, and language arts. Visit our sponsor at www.jeilearning.com. For those near Santa Clara and Livermore, make sure to ask for the Pod Save the Rest of Us discount. Sign up today and begin to carve out the future your child deserves.
1: easy going easy come where'd you get your info from i found mine on fact-checked by three sources that were fact-checked for biases and are equal opportunity employers
0: welcome pod save the rest of us listeners you're listening to elizabeth stanley I, along with Karen Castro, bring you season three, Two Roads. We drew inspiration for this season from Robert Foss' poem, The Road Not Taken. Given that we're all hunkered down, sheltered in place, it seems likely that most of us are taking stock in who and what we value. Once free, what do we really want to do with our precious time? Throughout season three, you will hear 10 stories of individuals who, on their life's path, realized that maybe just maybe, the road less traveled was the difference their lives needed. We hope you enjoy this episode, and as always, thank you for tuning in. From outgoing and energetic to dark and contemplating suicide, in this episode, Brenda shares her story of finding light and love at the end of a very long, dark journey. We found Brenda's story inspiring. We think you will too. Please note, this episode may be difficult to hear. There's a discussion about suicidal thoughts. Please use discretion throughout this episode. Also, if you or anyone you know has had suicidal thoughts, please reach out to the suicidal hotline. They're ready to help us all 24 hours a day. Their number is 1-800-273-8255. Again, their number is... 1-800-273-8255 one 800 Also, there may be some graphic language in this episode. Your discretion is advised. All right, we are so lucky to be able to have Brenda Kramer speaking with us today. Her story is a, a story that's inspiring, one, and two, um, it, it just gives us hope. And um, if Brenda can find hope in a very dark place, then maybe we all can. Let's start by uh, just giving us a sense of, you know, your childhood, where you grew up, and what, how normal that was. <laughs>
1: normal. <laughs> uh, so I grew up in uh, Tarzana, California, um, which is in the San Fernando Valley, Southern California. Beautiful place to grow up. Um, stayed here pretty much my whole life I spent a year in New Jersey in college but then came back because I couldn't stay away for too long um, I grew up with both my parents mom and dad uh, brother um, he left for college went to the bay which I'm sure you appreciate um, Very much so. yeah exactly Yeah, go bears um, but you know, just I would explain my growing up life as pretty normal, quote unquote, but um, with some, you know, some little sprinkles here and there of of, uh, of not so much normal. But, you know, I think we all have that when we're growing up. I would think that most
0: people would describe you as a lot of energy, really fun, funny, a great person to be around and. Um, someone who just always seems ready to have a good time and help other people.
1: Do you think that's fair? Uh, totally. I would agree. Okay. Mm-hmm.
0: So when you started feeling otherwise, um, and, and, um, and noticed that you are just not feeling very well and, and certainly not yourself. Can you take us through that? What happened? Um, and then, um. You know, share that story with us.
1: Yeah, um, you know, like you said, I think people would describe me as like a happy-go-lucky person on the outside, and I and I definitely know that that person exists within me. Um, but you know, there's also a person inside me that's not that that not that way, um, and I think I truly started realizing that and noticing that, um, after a pretty bad head, head injury, but I, you know, looking back at it, I think that person probably was in there all along and head injuries from my experience kind of make that person come to life a little bit Um, that's the best way I can really describe truly what it meant for me to be in a dark place Um, and to kind of describe it in a way that people can understand it's like you're looking in a mirror and you don't recognize the person that you are looking back at or that's looking back at you Um, because it feels like there's so much more It just feels like there's a darkness, there's a dark cloud, there's somebody that's kind of in the way of you seeing yourself the way you normally do, and it's kind of like mocking you and looking at you like, oh, you think you're that happy person, but you're actually not. And so it's just having all of that happening inside your head without knowing why and just kind of feeling stuck in a sense. What would you say was the most difficult part of that period? Um, Personally, it was uh, not feeling like I could describe it to anybody that could truly understand what was happening. Um, I know that I had a lot of support externally, people like, I'm here for you. Uh, if you need to talk, and at that point, when you get into the darkest parts of your brain and the darkest parts of depression, you can't talk. You don't know, you don't really know what you're feeling or what's happening, so um, maintaining relationships for those couple years, and, and even now still, like, I still deal with with post-traumatic you know brain injury issues um but during that time being able to maintain relationships and and be a person in society and and work and do anything was was a lot harder was nearly impossible
0: Maybe we can go back just a few steps. And mm-hmm. you said maybe that um, that dark person was lying within you. Do you have you gone to counseling? Are there some? What's the what am I trying to say? Do you know where that stems from? Has have there been some experiences that you felt like? that's, that's probably where it came from. I just had repressed it or it was trapped in there. I never fully addressed it. Um,
1: yeah, I, I definitely, you know, I have been in and out of therapy since I was 13. Um, and I'm 28 now. Um, so you know, back, back in middle school, a lot of people are, Going through things in middle school, there are hormonal changes. There's changes to, you know, your your social dynamic, and you know, for me at that time, I was I was coming to terms with my sexuality. Um, so I, I what I mean by like there's a darkness. I feel like there's a darkness in everybody. I think, not, you know, even good people have a dark side to them. And it like you said it could either be repressed or you recognize it and you know how to manage it and and that's where I'm at now. So at 28 having gone to therapy for a long time, medication, you know, I take medication for anxiety still. Um when all of this was going on and it was at its worst, I was taking a couple different medications for a couple different things. Um, just getting the brain chemistry back on track, but, you know, I think going back to when did I realize that there might be a darkness inside me? I think, you know, probably at the same time as, um, I started going to therapy when I was 13, you know, and could that have, couldn't that be caused by, you know, brain injuries and concussions when I was younger? Probably when I was, I think the first time I ever got stitches was on the top of my head when I was two. And so, you know, I've split my head open multiple times when I was younger. I, you know, split my chin open. I was constantly bumping my head on things. So could those things go hand in hand? Absolutely. Do I know for sure? No. But from the research I've done and things I've seen and, and whatever, like, um, repeated and repetitive blows to the head do not, they have an effect on you, you know, later on in life. And I, maybe that's partly what I was experiencing. I don't know.
0: You will now hear Brenda read from her journal entry, which was also published on the Huffington Post platform.
1: So this is uh, my concussion story. I I wrote this a couple years ago, back uh, when I was struggling the most. Um, I had a friend who, um, she recommended that I just write everything write everything I was feeling, um, and I think that it helped a lot of people, and I, you know, three years later, almost four years later, wow, I, um, I still get messages, um, you know, I posted this story on, on Medium, and on, uh, I got picked up by Huffington Post, and, uh, and yeah, so this is my concussion story. My concussion almost made me take my own life. It happened on Wednesday, February 3rd, 2016. My girlfriend at the time and I had just gotten back to her apartment after a long night of playing dodgeball. Tired, hungry, and still very sweaty, we made our way into her bedroom. Playfully wrestling on her bed, I grabbed her feet and started tickling them. Instantly, Her body thrashed and her head swung forward, her face connecting with the side of my head. My head was pounding, but I figured it was just a headache and I could sleep it off. I woke up the next day and I went to work. At the time, I was a fourth grade assistant teacher. Initially, I felt completely fine. After lunch, however, I experienced a panic attack. My entire body began to sweat. I couldn't sit in the classroom because I felt like I was going to throw up or pass out or both. I left work early and I immediately ran to my car and raced home. I crawled into bed and I tried to fall asleep, but I couldn't. My mind would not let me. Something within me felt off. Thoughts started flooding in. Thoughts about suicide. Thoughts about things that happened to me in the past. People I haven't thought about in years feelings emotions that were foreign to me it was like my body and my brain were unleashing every negative and harmful thought that I could ever pass through someone's mind I had absolutely no control over my brain and I panicked even more it was like someone had switched my brain with the brain of someone wicked someone evil and I was in constant internal battles with myself It took me three weeks after the impact to fathom that I could have actually sustained another concussion. This one would be my third major one over the span of ten years. I collected one too many hits to the head during my basketball and softball playing days. For the next three weeks, though, I continued going to work, these emotions still very prevalent on my mind. I tried my hardest to ignore them. I continued going to CrossFit. I continued playing dodgeball and hanging out with my friends. But I would get into my car after every activity and I would weep, unleashing all of the pent up emotion I had buried within myself throughout the day. I was exhausted. My body and my brain and my mind. I would get into my car after every activity and I would weep. Unleashing all of the pent-up emotion I had buried within myself throughout the day. I was exhausted. My body and my mind felt completely depleted. But I pushed myself. I pushed myself because that's what I've been taught to do. As a competitive athlete all my life, I've learned how to push through injuries, playing both basketball and softball in high school and college. I've had dislocated shoulders, high ankle sprains. I had eye surgery. With a partially torn Achilles and a slipped disc in my spine, I was determined to finish my senior year of college basketball, regardless of the pain I was causing my body. Physically, I wouldn't let anything stop me from playing. In 2009 and 2010, I attended a small liberal arts college in New Jersey. During my freshman year, I was warming up before a softball game. My teammates and I were taking routine ground balls in the outfield, as we normally did before every game. It was my turn. The ball left my coach's bat, and as it was rolling towards me, it hit a divot in the grass and popped up towards my face. I turned my head to the side, the ball connected with the side of my head, and I immediately blacked out, eventually gaining consciousness a few seconds later. But I played in the game. I went up for my first at bat and I struck out. I remember my teammates telling me that after my strikeout, I went back to the dugout and threw my bat and helmet at the bench. I'd always been able to keep a level head, regardless of how frustrated I may have been. I rarely ever showed negative emotion during games, let alone anger. I hit the ball during my next at bat and got on base. The batter after me got a hit as well, but instead of running to the next base, I just stood there, motionless. It was like my brain forgot where I was. My coaches and my teammates screamed at me to run, but by the time I realized what was happening, the opposing team tagged me out, and the rest of the game is a complete blur. As a college athlete, you never want to let anyone down. Your coaches, your teammates, your family, you feel like everyone's counting on you to be successful. You are your own worst enemy, Concussions were not at the forefront of sports conversations back then. A knock to the head wasn't taken as seriously as it is today. I had no idea that getting hit in the head with a softball would do so much damage to my brain. The next morning after the game, I woke up with an unbearable headache. I couldn't even stand up. I crawled out of my bed and stumbled into the hallway where two of my friends found me lying on the ground. They immediately drove me to the hospital ...and I was diagnosed with a concussion. The next morning after the game, I woke up with an unbearable headache. I couldn't even stand up. I crawled out of bed and stumbled into the hallway where two of my friends found me lying on the ground. They immediately drove me to the hospital and I was diagnosed with a concussion. I dealt with the effects of this concussion for the next few months... ...spending the majority of my days in bed in complete darkness... I stopped going to classes, I quit the softball team, and I transferred to a school back home in California. But the concussion I sustained in New Jersey was not my first. My first major head injury occurred when I was in high school. I attended a sleepover basketball camp at a local university. The players on the team asked me and a couple other campers to stay in the gym after camp had ended to play in a pickup game with them. During the game, I went up for a layup, and I was pushed forward by my defender. My body sailed, and my head slammed against the side of a portable basket. I fell to the floor. But I got up. I continued playing. But that night, I was in the shower, and I lost my balance. My head was foggy, I was dizzy, and my eyes were blurry. I staggered back into the dorm room and asked my roommate to call for help. The coach of the basketball team drove me to the hospital and there I was informed that I had a concussion. But February 3rd was different. It didn't happen while playing a sport. After those first three weeks, I couldn't push myself anymore. The headaches and the anxiety and the depression were unbearable. I quit my job. I decided to contact my doctor. I went in for an appointment and was administered a standard concussion test, which tests for memory, balance, and other cognitive functions. I failed the test miserably. My doctor diagnosed me with a concussion and instructed me to spend the next 10 days in darkness. No computer, no cell phone. I'd hoped that after taking those days to completely rest my brain, I would be back to feeling normal again. But I wasn't. Mentally and physically, I felt like I was becoming a different person. I would wake up every morning, head pounding, thoughts in dark places, and I wondered if it was worth it to continue living this way. The horrible thoughts were still there. The pressure in my head was getting worse. I was trapped within my own mind, anxious, depressed, and lost in fear. I felt like the only way to get rid of these thoughts was to end my own life, and there were days I wasn't sure I would make it. I've been, dealing with the, I've been dealing with this physical and emotional pain every day for the past six months, wondering with each passing day when this nightmare will end. I do my best to show the people closest to me how much I appreciate them for not giving up on me when I so badly wanted to give up on myself. I'm slowly beginning to see the light at the end of this treacherous journey. I searched tirelessly for ways to survive this. I meditate every day. I go to therapy. I began going to therapy after my panic attack and have kept up with it at least once a week since. I was able to find some solace once I realized that my concussion was the cause for much of my anxiety and depression. I rediscovered my passion for drawing and began creating and designing personalized signs for my friends. I can no longer stand to watch some of the dramatic television shows that I used to love, so ESPN has become a staple of background noise at my house. Music has become a source of discomfort for me, so I've been listening to CrossFit podcasts as well as a podcast called Invisibilia. The words accompany me on the long walks I take, I started taking antidepressants about a month ago, so the crying every day has stopped, but the depressing and anxious feelings are still there, but nothing is a quick fix. While I was going through my darkest moments, I would write down exactly what I was feeling in the notes section of my phone. Looking back on those notes now shows me that although I've come a long way in terms of physical progress, There are still a lot of times where I fall back into those same dark mental patterns. Meditation has helped me stay present and sort of fight the urge to beat myself up for the feelings that occur within my mind. But the negative voice inside me is still there. Currently I'm not working and I'm not sure when I'll be able to go back to work full time again. My anxiety overcomes me when I begin to think about it. For me, coping with this injury is my full-time job I live at home with my parents I've been thinking about moving out prior to my concussion but I can't handle the thought of being on my own right now I'm so fortunate though that my parents support me and have allowed me to stay at home my mom comes to all my appointments with me and has been there with me during my worst moments she's so calm and understanding and I don't know what I would have done without her It's hard to fully explain to people what I'm going through because a concussion is not a visible injury. But for those of us who have experienced this type of trauma, you understand its magnificence. Life is not the same as it was before your concussions. We ache to find ways to cope with our new selves, our stories, our pain, and our fight to get through this. We're all similar in our suffering. This issue has hit mainstream media But the conversation revolves around the experience of men, especially those who have or are playing professional football. But for women, our stories tend to remain trapped within our damaged brains. Our pain does not make the headlines on SportsCenter, but our struggles overlap, our Google history overflowing with searches of how long do concussion symptoms last and the link between concussions and depression. The information we can find about concussions is no longer scarce, but knowledge doesn't take the pain away. As women, we must speak up about our head injuries. It's not easy to relive the painful moments that once felt impossible to survive, but our stories are important. You're not alone. When you start to give up, when you start to believe that there's no one who will understand what you're going through, just remember that you're not alone. No matter how many times your mind drifts off to those dark places and your pain becomes so unbearable, you can't even unwrap yourself from your bed sheets, you're not alone. And your story is important too. Even if you can't find the words to explain what you're going through, even if your life has become a daily struggle to fight through your depression, you're not alone. I wish I had been aware of how detrimental even a single concussion could be to my health. But I look back at my younger self and commend my relentless spirit. Although I see the toll that those head injuries took on me, and I wonder if it was worth it. Parents of athletes, don't let my experiences scare you. My latest concussion wasn't even a result of playing sports. But if I had known that continuing to play the same day after hitting my head could have done so much damage, I wouldn't have pushed myself. Now that the information about concussions is available, there are more ways to manage the symptoms once they arise. Coaches and athletic trainers are more aware of the negative effects of a single hit to the head, and most of the time, they won't allow their athlete back onto the playing field. There are preventative measures that youth sports are taking, such as requiring softball pitchers to wear face masks and soccer players to wear padded headbands. Most people who have gone through what I've gone through would probably never go back to living an active lifestyle, but as I sit here and expose my story, I find joy in fantasizing about the moment I can return to CrossFit and dodgeball. It would be easy to stop pushing, but I wouldn't be true to myself if I quit this easily. I guess the athlete in me hasn't given up just yet.
0: Now that you're you've, you're you're getting the medical help you need, you're doing the things that you physically that you need for yourself mm-hmm. to be spiritually okay and mm-hmm. mentally um, in a better place. Tell us about some of those changes that you've made uh, from a day to day coping um, coping strategies for yourself.
1: Yeah, um, you know it, it would be. I I wouldn't be being honest if I would say that um, I'm still not struggling because there are definitely days that I do. Um, But therapy helps. Therapy is one of the things that I think saved my life for sure. Um, Just being able to talk one-on-one with somebody and be very upfront about the darkness and about what I was feeling and about what was happening – and knowing that they weren't going to judge me and they were going to be understanding, um, you know, that really helped. That helps a lot. Um, you know, day to day, like I said, I still take my medication. I still meditate pretty frequently. I try to do it every day. Still. Um, there are mechanisms that my therapist taught me to kind of address um dark thoughts, unwanted thoughts, and you know, one of the things that really helps me is um, to realize that like a, a the brain is a powerful and beautiful thing. It's constantly changing, it's constantly um, adapting, it's constantly making calculations. And you know, you you can tell as a person, when there's something that has entered your brain or that you're, that's happening that is foreign to you and you know that. Um, and part of the problem that I was experiencing was those thoughts would happen. And I, and I didn't know how to address them um, within myself. You know, I didn't know how to address uh, those unwanted things. So what, I learned to do is to just kind of look at them and accept them that they're happening and just kind of let them pass because that's what thoughts do thoughts come in you can either get caught up in them and that's kind of the the what gets you know the wheel rolling in depression and anxiety or you can just kind of accept that they're happening and just watch them pass by. So that's, you know, I, I spend a lot of time in my mind. Like I do, you know, and I think a lot of people do, but they don't understand why or what's happening. And I try to do my best to, um, to not get caught up, but it's really hard. <laughs> <laughs> All right.
0: Upon the therapeutic stuff that mm-hmm. works for you, you turn to really training and using, um, um, fitness as an outlet to get some of that um, darkness out, mm-hmm. um, if you will, and and what had tell us about that daily regiment for you or that that whole transformation and how important that's been for you.
1: Yeah, so fitness, you know, along with therapy, kind of helped save me a little bit. You know, fitness. Uh, it has always been something that I've been passionate about, even while growing up, played sports growing up. Um, but I, I don't know if I truly committed to, you know, my own body and realizing the connection between mind and body um, until all of this started happening, you know, and the connection between Um, exercise and, and mental health. Um, it goes, it goes a long way. Um, so I kind of dove in, not just to training my body, but learning the mechanisms and why, um, certain things that I would do would help, uh, clear my head a little bit or help me focus on something on a task and not, um, and, and that task, like, let's say, for instance, I was going to go for a run or go to the gym and squat or whatever. Like, I would have a focus on something other than what was happening in my brain. And that would help me to not obsess over the things that I couldn't see, like the, the depression and, and whatnot. And to have something I could have control over, which is, like, working out. And physically using my body. Um, And so even to this day, like fitness is something I can stay committed to. And it helps me with those obsessive parts of myself that are very much still there. Um, You know, I have to be mindful of not overdoing it in the gym because I, I know that I have a tendency to push a little too hard um obsessive yeah so it's being mindful of that is helping me be mindful of the same obsessive thoughts and things that happen inside my head so it kind of goes hand in hand um so you're able to channel it more appropriately or effectively exactly into something physical rather than just inside my own head um,
0: from that mm-hmm. transformation, if you will, mind, body, etc., cetera, um, you have become one of the top, one of the world's leading, top, greatest, <laughs> most amazing dodgeball player. <laughs> Tell us about that. How did that come to be? First of all, most people I talk to, like, I didn't know we had a USA dodgeball team. We're USA. We should have a dodgeball. That should be one of our our um, top sports because everybody loves dodgeball when they're young. Um, if if it's a Nerf ball.
1: Right. Because yeah. Nerf
0: ball's fun. And I'm hurt. assuming you play with a Nerf ball. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so the ball that we play with is made of foam. Perfect. Yeah. So when you get hit with it, it might sting. But it'll it goes away. It's it it it's not it's not gonna it's not gonna kill anybody, you know. Um, but so thank you for all those compliments, by the way. Dodgeball. I mean, you know me. So I've always been a competitive person. Um, you know, I played basketball for you. Um, basketball was my outlet for lo- my entire life. So. When you stop playing a sport that you've done your entire life, that you've committed your basically your entire life to, regardless of how good you are, like you've committed to something, um, it's and then, definitely a
0: time structure and that it impacts all aspects of your life, your school, your social, as well as all your free time. I could, it, and all of that goes to the athletic pursuit.
1: Yes, exactly, and I and I think I thrive in that in that mindset. So post college basketball, and I and I know so many people who have played sports go through the same thing where it kind of feels like a loss. So you've you've committed so much to something and then it's done, it's over. So for a few years. You know, I kind of, I you know, I went to the gym and whatever, but I've always, I was always missing that component of competitiveness that I think I thrive in. Um, and so, a friend of mine, I would say like four or five years ago, just said, "Hey, come, come play in this recreational dodgeball league. It's a gay league. Like, you might make some friends, you might meet some people, and whatever." And I took to it. Like I went and played and I immediately fell in love with it. Um, and I think from that moment it, it felt like, okay, like I found something to, to replace, to, to give me that same feeling that basketball had given me forever. And now I can, I can shift my focus into dodgeball um, but yeah, like like you said, m- you know, a lot of people, most people, if you ask them, hey, do we have a USA dodgeball team? They'd say, no, I've seen the movie. I know that. I played it when I was little. Um, so we get that a lot, um, you know, but my, the, dodgeball for me is not about uh, notoriety. Dodgeball for me is about being able to have that same connection with mind body sport as well as um, connection with teammates and it, it just kind of satisfies that same uh, that same thing that I had my entire life and I don't I don't have to give that up that's that's the most amazing thing is you don't have to give up that competitive side of yourself you know you can find other sp- and dodgeball is not the only obscure sport that adults play, you know, there's kickball, there's, uh, ultimate Frisbee and there's all USA teams for that too, you know, but you know, dodgeball is the one that, that really spoke to me. So how did you
0: go from rec league into becoming a world-class top
1: dodgeball player? I think the best way I can describe that is I have a relentless spirit and I don't give up. So if I'm not good at something or if I am not as good as I want to be at something, I will commit everything to making sure that I never have that same feeling again. So if I ever feel like I failed or I feel like I'm not good enough, I will practice and I will train and I will again become Obsessive over something until I feel like I have accomplished what I need to. But in the same token, I never get complacent. So if I feel like I've gotten good at something that I wasn't as good at before, well, now I want to be the best at it. So I'm going to work and I'm going to commit to it. You know, in some ways, some people might look at that and be like, you're wasting your time. Dodgeballs, you know, it, you're putting money into it. But for me, I only live one time. I only live one time. So am I going to not put everything into... Ju- even if it, people look at it as just a hobby, it's not like that for me. You know, it it, it it's become an outlet for the darkness that I have been through, this has brought me so much light. So why not give everything that I have into something that I feel like has saved me? And, um,
0: how did you feel the first time someone approached you and say, Hey, we have this elite dodgeball team and we want you to be on it. And you were recognized as, You know, even in a magazine, I believe, where you were recognized as one of the top dodgeball players in the nation. How'd that make you feel?
1: Yeah. um, How surprised were you? Well, so when I was first approached to be on what, so there's leagues in dodgeball and there's uh, tournaments and there's um, regional tournaments. And so you form what are called elite teams and they go and travel and they play Um, you know, other teams from the same region. And when I was first asked about four years ago to play on an elite team, you know, I was very new to the sport, but, you know, fast forward four years, the same person that asked me to be on, you know, or, or had a hand in helping me become what I am now was my same teammate from four years ago. Um, and we still we still are on the same team together and we're on the same we're on USA together. And so she kind of helped me become the dodgeball player that I wanted to be. Um, but at first, I, I had no idea what Dodgeball could be in the future back four years ago. Um, but once I realized like, okay, I'm actually okay at this and now I want to be better at it. That's when my training shifted from just regular physical, going to the gym type stuff to how is th- this workout going to translate to my throw, to catching, to dodging, to moving, to everything that is skill related in dodgeball. How is this going to help with that? Um, and that's really how, I ma- how the turning point in um, my success thus far in dodgeball is the my shift in focus and and realizing like my goal is to be on the usa dodgeball team and i had you know last year i was invited to try out and i didn't make the team and so that right there was like oh okay now i'm gonna put everything i have into this and that's the point i am right now i've completely transformed my body my game Everything. What,
0: what, lessons, let me try again. what lessons have you learned
1: as an elite athlete? Uh, that you can't ever be complacent. Because someone's always trying to take your spot. Teams are always trying to beat you. Um, another lesson is to be elusive um, and be unpredictable. So learning what other players' tendencies are and using those to your advantage. So outsmarting people, studying, watching film. It's the same thing that we used to do in basketball. You know, you, you say, oh, that girl's a shooter. Okay, well then how are you gonna guard her? It's the same thing in dodgeball. That girl's a really good catcher. She can catch anything. Okay. Well, then how are we going to approach how we throw at her? That kind of thing. So being analytical, um, just being smarter.
0: What life? What life lesson can you give others, having gone through your dark period and transforming your mental state to something? Uh, I'm sure you're proud of and your family as well what life lesson have you clung to that you know makes a difference for you and maybe it subsequently would for somebody else
1: um that every day is a new opportunity for whatever you know like I said we're not we're not guaranteed life I you know, lost a very close friend. Um, And she's still somebody that I carry her spirit with me everywhere I go, you know. Um, But every day that you wake up, you have an opportunity to make it your masterpiece and to make it better than it was before. You know, it's really, really hard to see the light at the end of the darkness that you fall into, um, and you have to do the work to get out of it, and it really sucks, and it's really hard. Um, but every day that you wake up is another day to either make yourself better or help make somebody else better, um, and you have that op. You have that gift. That's a gift that. Um, Everyone's given, but not everybody uses. If you
0: could change one decision you made where you knew that this probably isn't the healthiest for me or just thwarted my progress, what would that be?
1: Hmm. I don't don't know. I got to think about that one.
0: Yeah. was there a time where you go this current behavior or this current path is is destructive more than it's helpful or my the people I'm surrounding with or I sh- shouldn't have jumped when I did that sort of thing Was there a time, Brenda, where some alarm was going off in your head and you're like, this probably isn't in my best interest, but you did it anyway?
1: Yeah, I'm going back into my, into my memory, my memory pool. Um, I, I, I think there were times that I accepted jobs that I knew I didn't want or I knew weren't going to benefit me, that it was just easy money at the time. And then it got to a point where I kind of exploded and realized, like, I feel stuck because this is not what I want to (laughs) do.
0: That's such an interesting... Unprovoked, I swear, listeners, answer because everyone that, not everyone, but pretty much everyone that I've spoken with have said the same thing. Like, I needed to quit that that mind-numbing, just life-sucking, soul-sucking job sooner because it was hurting me profoundly and I was just miserable. Isn't that amazing? That's
1: amazing. Um- if there's that's ever amazing. a message for season three, that's it. that's
0: it. Don't
1: take a job just because you want the you money. Want the money. Yeah.
0: Crash on somebody's couch before that. Something <laughs> like that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree. That's so amazing that you said that. Um, all right. Um, what do you hope people say about you?
1: Well, going back to what you said at the beginning, you know, where I present Happy-go-lucky, positive, um, just a genuinely happy person that is there for other people. That's I know that that's who I am. That's That's who I've been my entire life with just some hiccups and some bruises and some cuts and some tears sprinkled in. And I... I really truly hope that people, you know, even those that were there while I was in my darkest place, you know, I actually just saw a friend of mine who was there with me in, in those dark times and, you know, she, she actually like gave me a really big hug and she just said, I'm so proud of you. You know, and it's really hard for me at the place I'm in now to not remember because I I know how dark it was and how awful I felt. But it's hard for me, and I I try not to put myself back in that place. So when people say, I'm so proud of you, look how far you've come – I recognize it and I know that, and I never want to go back to that place. And I feel like I finally have the mechanisms to prevent myself from going that dark again. But then again, I didn't know what was going to happen when it did. I have no control. I have no control over anything. So, you know, I just hope people listen to this and and see me and they understand like i am i am the person that i present but i also struggle and i think we all do yeah
0: all right well in wrapping up i want to say thank you for spending time i also want to say that i know the world is a brighter and better place because you're in it and um I know many people have been inspired by you and myself being one of them. And, and your your um, strength and courage to share your story will make a difference if for nobody else than me, The sitting here watching you shine, um, knowing how low you were, but not surprised by your inner strength to fight your way out of it. So thank you. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed this episode, which was engineered and produced by Elizabeth Stanley and Karen Castro. We want to thank all our guests whose open and honest responses shaped another great season. As always, we need to thank our listeners whose support means so much to us. Additionally, we must thank our great contributors for their music. Hunter Lewis, Robert Stanley, Danny Burns, and Alejandro of Dro Beats. We also need to thank Justice Stanley for web and social media content, Jasmine Smith for web design, St. Hall for graphic artwork, and our sponsor, Solid Lotion Bars, and the JEI Learning Center. If you wish to find us, you can do so on our website, podsavetherestofus.com, as well as on Instagram at podsavetherestofus, and on the Twitter at SaveTheRestOfUs. of Us. We'd like to remind you to please subscribe, rate, and review us wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you for tuning in.